Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, the podcast where we learn from cybersecurity experts how to stay safe, private, and secure on the cloud and in code. CSCP is hosted by Francesco Cipollone, your cybersecurity friend with a passion for all things cyber and sharing stories of other professionals with you. This episode is sponsored by AppSec Phoenix, the next generation application security platform, enabling organizations to run application security programs in a smart way. Visit www.appsecphoenix.com to learn more. I hope you enjoyed the first part of this. If you haven't, go and check the link. It's important to get the context of what we were discussing. And just to recap a little bit, with Alan, we touch point a little bit on the role of MFA and how we can push organization to do better and how we can reach out. And because it was Cyber Awareness Month in October, we stressed out that fact and we, we gave away a lot of information on how we did it. And then we touched base a little bit on the role of hiring, what a hiring manager is looking for, and how to progress your career from starting to, to where Alan is uh, as a delivery CISO for entity data. And what is the role of the MBA in all that, in all his experience and how to become a CISO? How important are the certification? How is important gaming? And in the second part, we, we keep on exploring on these topics and we answer the question to our community. If you haven't participated in the community, please come and join in the next podcast that is with Bandana. So I wish you enjoyed the second part. I'm a gamer. I play RPGs. And, yep. you know, you have to decide every time you're developing a new character. Do I emphasize my strengths or do I shore up my weaknesses, right? And, and philosophically, <laughs> you know, if you go for that strength, 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 and ignore the weaknesses, you always end up with an out-of-balance character that, that just cannot manage or handle certain situations. And so in real life, I took those RPG lessons and I tend to want to shore my weaknesses more than I want to emphasize my strengths. So I'm always looking to achieve a better balance than I am to super excel at any one facet of, of whatever I do. I'll answer Lori's question. She's doing an MBA and is interested to know how I balanced it with work and life. I never had it conflict with work other than one or two times when I was writing a paper. I, I might have actually, you know, taken an afternoon off and told the boss, like, hey, I got an MBA paper that's due on, you know, Thursday evening. I'm going to take part of Thursday off to finish it. A couple of times I had to do that just up front. Hey, I'm, I'm skipping a half a day here to crank out this paper. The rest of the time I kept it away from work. So the impact was really to my family life. And my wife definitely was, uh, was tolerant. And fortunately for me, she had just completed her PhD, so um, she didn't have a whole lot of uh, leg to stand on. <laughs> if, if it got to where it was too big a conflict, I could point out like, hey, you just finished a PhD. So, so we're both big on education in this family. So we managed to balance it out uh, that way, I think, realistically. Jonathan's question is, I just finished my MS in information assurance. If my end goal is to be a CISO, do I need an MBA? I just answered this question a few days ago with somebody else who asked it. It's interesting. If you're applying for a CISO job off the street and they don't know you from anybody else, you're just a random resume hitting their desk, very often one of the requirements is that you have an MBA. So to that end, an MBA, a lack of an MBA can prevent you from getting certain jobs as a CISO. So that's statement one. Statement two is don't expect the MBA to be the magic bullet that gets you the job or even gets you a management job at all, right? If you're an individual practitioner and you go and get a fantastic MBA from a fantastic school and you walk away with a, a fantastic GPA, it's still not a guarantee that you're going to get anything. Um, I've known plenty of people that have gone the MBA route, spent the money, spent the time, and didn't see any significant change in their careers at all. So it's not a guarantee that you're going to get what you want. 
but in some cases without it, you you've got doors that are closed instead of open. So that's my that's my take on MBAs. So is that a must? Is that going to be a must for for getting a CISO or not? Because I got I, I got a few few of the CISO role, but I never I never went down the route of the MBA because it's a, it, it yeah. wasn't cost effective for me. I, I've been a CISO four times and I don't have one. I, I think it's quite possible to get one without. But but like I said, there's plenty of CISO job descriptions that require it. Uh, that if you're not connected and don't know somebody and you're applying off the streets, your resume is probably going to get tossed because you don't have it. So it becomes a check mark in some cases. And it really depends on who's hiring and, and how serious they are about that MBA requirement. But the, then, then my case is build your network rather than build, have, have the MBA build the network for you. Bingo. So I, I the think last. the network is the key thing. And that's what, what the MBA helps you. And you pay a lot of money to actually build a network of people. That's part of the MBA thing. It's like it, not it just is. training, it's the network. It, it is. But I, I will say too, both of my degrees are from online experiences. And in the online world, it becomes much more difficult to yeah. gain that network win from the degree that you would get from a traditional degree. I, you know, I, I spent years in undergraduate at, at a couple of different schools paying my way through and ultimately walked away to keep doing my career. I was, my career had taken off to a point where I was traveling a lot and being in school wasn't viable anymore. And so I came back as a grown up and finished my degree online. And I don't have any connections with the people from my online degree. I've got plenty of them from back before but I don't have any from that online experience. And my master's was online as well. And, and there's just a couple of people that I still communicate with after that program. So it's important if you're going for the networking aspects to find a program that actually puts you in seats next to these people so you can Correct. actually meet them for real and, and learn from them. There's plenty of executive MBA programs that offer that. Um, and if you want that networking value, do that. And, and I'll say for me, the last four jobs that I've had, three of them were achieved through networking and one of them was an off-the-street resume situation. So... I think last probably five years of my life, I, most of my client came through uh, either referral or, you know, my network. So I think uh, for me, it's even more important the network aspect of it, speaking at events and, and teaching people and pushing for my mentee to actually go and speak to the event because the network and the network of people that you know is absolutely critical, MBA or non-MBA. And yeah. if you need to invest in an MBA, invest an MBA that puts you in contact with people that you want to live with. So start talking with the alumni, start reaching out and see if that MBA, uh, I think it's good for you. And that's what I did. And I said, you know what, this is not, not for me. I can build this stuff out of my own. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, there's a, there's a checkbox, right? Uh, some people have yeah. to have it for certain jobs. They just require it. You must have the MBA. So there's going to be a few opportunities that the doors are closed if you don't have one. But I would argue that the network trumps the MBA requirement. I I've, I've gotten jobs where the requirement was to have an MBA and I didn't have mine, but I but I knew people. Yeah, ultimately, that that's just a checklist exercise that, uh, you know, your, your, your traditional recruiter goes through. But then you bypass complete the recruitment line. You go directly to who knows you or, or um, they know my value. Yep. Yeah, I think we got a lot of questions on, on the MBA and masters. But back to the thing, back to the education, back to how we fill up the gaps. Do we do we push more our organization and people that we work on, and especially the one that are and the one that are big? Do we push them to mentor more and to grow to grow professional, or do we just rely on the market to push for that? I think formal mentoring, um, being a mentor and a mentee both are, are required to be successful in your career. And when I say formal, I mean the business can do so much to encourage that. I've worked in environments where 
anybody in the company uh, who wanted to participate in the mentor mentee program, <clears throat> you just submit, hey, here's what I'm good at. Here's what I'd like to learn. Here's where I could be a mentor. Here's where I am a mentee. And somebody behind the scenes is actually playing matchmaker and connecting people up. And there's a formal, hmm. hey, you're, you're assigned to this guy now. And, and, and this woman is going to be your mentor. And you're going to train this, this gentleman over here. And, you know, uh, matchmaking and setting it up and making it formal. Um, I've seen a great deal of success come from, from making it a formal program. If you're working in an organization that does not do that, I still say go out of your way to do it. I, I have a few yeah. mentees at this point. I have one mentor. I'm looking for more mentors. Um, I, I, you know, the more the merrier. Um, I've got one that I rely on overly much, I would say, and I'm trying to take some load off of him and find some more. But I believe in it. I believe in it deeply and passionately. I, I, I think you can learn so much from somebody who's not afraid to call you out on your BS to, to give you the real advice. Ideally, it's somebody that you work with, but not your boss, right? I always say that your, your yeah. mentor and your boss should never be the same person because part of what you're doing as a mentee is bitching about your boss. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you need advice on, hey, I, every boss is a person, is a personality, it has, has quirks and, 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 and you'll have communication challenges sometimes and you'll have, how do I best sell this idea to this type of person challenges? And, and this is with everybody. And, and a mentor who knows your boss, but who isn't your boss is probably the best for all those kinds of questions. But right behind that would just be a mentor who doesn't know the boss at all, but is just a simply an objective outsider. Um, but the boss himself, obviously the worst person to, to, to have for those kinds yeah. of circumstances and situations. You're going to learn a lot from your boss anyway. A good boss is going to be passing on leadership, encouraging you, growing you, developing you. All of those positive aspects of what you get from a mentor should be happening anyway. Um, but, but certain physics require a, a mentor to not be the boss. But I guess mentoring is hard and we don't have a blueprint for mentoring. So I think the only reference that I managed to find out of mentoring is Toastmaster. I think they're starting a new program of like mentoring checklists and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. do we, do we, should, we, should we just put out a mentoring or, or mentoring guideline? Should we just do a white paper or mentoring you know guideline? An, an open source mentoring framework uh, would, no, like would actually be kind letter. of a cool thing. I mean, even uh, yeah. just a, yeah, I call it a framework, it could be two or three pages. Yeah, yeah. Just, just to sort of walk through the physics, it would be really interesting. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of AppSec Phoenix Limited. AppSec helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security problems by using smart data aggregation and complex machine learning software. Discover how AppSec Phoenix helps CISO and developers remove friction and maximize the use of DevSecOps professionals at www.appsecphoenix.com. AppSec Phoenix is the new and smart dev-first way to manage your software vulnerability. Follow the tag, hashtag AppSecSmart. Sorry, so Jonathan asked a question. He said, is there a typical path to CISO? I'm in my first management level job now and I love it. I honestly don't know. I sort of weirdly stumbled into the CISO job the first time I got it. I, I believe you have to have prior management experience to make it to a C-level you know, management position. You have to have prior management experience. So, so check that box. You have to have a security background, obviously. Check that box. Uh, we talked about the MBA and, and business skills, and we talked about soft skills, and the more of those you have, the merrier. But those are things you can develop as you get your management background, excuse me, and, and, and work on your technology background. So at the end of the day, how do you make that final leap? There's the traditional climbing the ladder. Hey, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a manager now in the security space. I'm a senior manager in the security space. I'm a director, senior director, you know, vice president. Hey, look, I'm CISO now. Coming in as the right-hand man, coming in as the lieutenant, the deputy CISO, 
and then when the vacancy arises, you're, you're the best candidate for the job, you know, ideally, you know, there's that traditional pattern. I got into mine rather weirdly. We talked before about my customer facing background. I was much more focused on product security than I was on IT security. And, and I had, understand, I had a 20 year IT career before I got into security or a, I don't know, 15 year, let's say IT career. So I had done IT management, operations management with a bit of a focus on security here and there way back when there weren't really dedicated security roles. I switched to product security because security was fun for me. And I, I went from being a senior manager in IT all the way back down to individual contributor, but I built a program. And by the time I got the program done, the CIO of the company approached me one day and he said, look, I understand you got this IT operations background. Yeah, did, did that for years. And, and you've built this fantastic security program for the products. I was like, yeah. He said, why don't you combine those two and be CISO? And I was like, okay. Uh, and next thing I knew, I was a CISO. So I didn't, you know, I wasn't looking for it. I didn't have a career plan. Accidental I didn't have a CISO. CISO. Yeah, exactly. I didn't have a target of that. I wasn't going for that. I was just having fun doing security, um, leading as best I could, uh, getting rewarded with promotions as I as I got better at my leadership um, and, and continuing to play in the security space. And one day CISO magically happened. So I, I don't know that my story is, is, a, is a model per se. Um, but that's, that's no, but I've story. seen, I've seen a lot, a lot of that happening. It's like people accidentally falling into CISO, then taking more and more space. Uh, CISO is not a blueprint. It's like even the responsibility varies. I mean, as we just touched, as you correctly say, there is the customer facing CISO. There's sometimes it's a dedicated role. There is the group CISO. There is, I don't know, regional CISO. It, it just, it's just a responsibility that you have from a security perspective. And we have another yep. question on. I'm doing a I'm master's doing a master in, data, in science. data science. Do I need a CISSP certificate? <clears throat> so I'm, I'm a big believer in degree or certification, either or, uh, and, I'm, and I'm happy. As, as a guy who's looking at your resume and thinking about hiring you, if you come to me with a security degree of some kind, cybersecurity, infosec, whatever degree, uh, I'm going to see you as somebody who's gotten some formal training in the security space. If you come to me with a CISSP, I'm going to see you as someone who's gotten some formal training in the security space. If your degree is not in a security subject specifically, complementing with that CISSP is never a bad thing. But understand, too, that CISSP is a certificate that requires you've already had some years in the field. So it's a, it's a chicken and egg thing, you know, which comes first. So start with low-level certs. Um, I've hired folks who came in with no security degree at all. Uh, in fact, wildly varying degrees or, or no degree at all but who took the time to get as many security certifications as they could at that stage in their career. You know, I went and got a CEH, I went and got a CompTIA Security Plus, I went and got a, you know, whatever the various, you know, GX certs and things that are out there. And somebody comes to me with a, with a, with a small handful of security certifications and they don't have anything else on their resume that speaks to security specifically. It at least shows me, A, they've got some fundamentals under their belt now, B, they've got a passion for it, and C, they've got the discipline to get off their butts and go do something about that passion. Uh, and all three of those things <laughs> I like matter. that. All three of those things matter to me. So certifications are, are fine uh, and a great way to complement a non-security degree or, or a lack of degree altogether. And I think from my perspective, I like CSSP because it, it, is, is, it covers a lot of stuff. And I think there is the a smaller version uh, of CSSP that is for when you don't have that, that five years of experience. But ultimately, is security is doing things right. So if you have some some like database experience, some networking experience, some uh, operating system experience, and, mm -hmm. and you know how to have the hacking mentality that is fundamentally question everything and, and try to break concepts, 
that's it. That's my security person that I can grow. But as go. you said, it's like it's a good it's a good business card yeah. having a number of cert, and I have tons under my belt because they helped me. I was I was teaching for a little while, so yeah, I definitely see the the value out of it. Yeah, and and for me too, and this is again my my story doesn't apply universally at, at all, especially today because I'm I'm lucky. I'm I'm from a generation where the very first personal computers came out when I was in middle school. Uh, I was in seventh grade, eighth grade, you know, uh, sixth grade, even fooling around on computers. The the first IBM PCs, the first Apple, you know, Apple IIs that came out. And back in those days, there weren't any laws about hacking. For <laughs> so, <laughs> so, bad reason. So, um, you know, me and my friends, you know, my dad had an IBM PC because he was he was actually an infosec. I'm second generation infosec. My dad was a mainframe security guy. So oh, we had wow. an IBM PC at home pretty much the second those things existed, we had one with a modem. And so I was exploring the world, shall we say, uh, via the computer. <laughs> and a good friend of mine Roving. had an Apple II. And another friend of mine had a TI-99. And another friend had a TRS-80. And, and so all these friends with all these different computers, but all of us doing the same kinds of activities. And then we got into coding. We got into writing programs. And very quickly, we learned that a program that worked on this computer didn't work on that computer without some work. And so we were constantly working together, writing our own games and all kinds of things um, and, and learning how to port code and, and change it from operating system to operating system, learning the, the ins and outs, you know, finding utility tools specific and unique to each platform and just sharing and exchanging information. This is back in the days when floppy disks were five and a quarter and you, you could buy a single sided <laughs> or a double sided uh, floppy disk. Right. And they were literally flexible. They were floppy. And the difference between a single-sided and a double-sided was that the magnetic medium was a little bit thicker, so you could write to both sides without the magnetic signals interfering from one side to the other. But physically, the difference was there was a notch on the disk that prevented you from flipping the disk upside down the other way and using the other side. Well, we were kids. We, were, we didn't have money. We'd, we'd save up our money and go to Radio Shack and buy one disk, and we'd get a hole punch <laughs> and punch the disk and use it two-sided, taking the risk that one day the data would degrade. Uh, but I remember, you know, this was all, this was all when I was in middle well, school hockey. doing all this. Yeah, exactly. But that's exactly. happy mentality. It's like it's, exactly. it's like when you have we don't have resources. You have a problem. You try to make the best out of it. It's like you, you try to invent things, and then that that's how computer was made. Exactly. So so that's how I grew up, right? So for me, security was a natural extension of of my childhood hobbies, you know. Uh, and that mindset, that hacking mindset, was key. Now, obviously, in today's world, you know, hacking is uh, you know. Uh, the kind of hacking I did uh, is not exactly the uh, the kind of hacking that can be done today. <laughs> I got, I got I think, in before I think they were lost, right? But the but mindset I think it's is still the same. To go, exactly. To go back to the mindset, the hacking mentality. Now, now we have. I'm I'm facing it right now. It's like now hacking is has kind of a stigma, but the hacking mentality of questioning everything, breaking stuff or trying to make things better, or trying to make things your own, or trying, breaking, inventing. That's the kind of mentality that we need to go back to, and that can be applied to any kind of field. Exactly. Uh, you know, Even kit cars. And that's the one piece that I, I mentioned the word curiosity before. I, I think it's the one piece that can't be taught. You're, you're either naturally the sort of person who wants to learn how things work, take things apart. You're naturally the sort of person that wants to find the way through the system, whatever that system might be. You know, people who play uh, video games, you know, are oftentimes picked on, you know, grownups that play video games. I'm a big believer in uh, hiring people that play certain types of video games because there are games like RPGs where you're in charge of a development and design of your character in a, in a very complex system. And a good RPGer 
always finds a way through the system to create something the developers of the game did not anticipate, something that's extraordinarily gifted or exceptional in some facet of the game that, that, that they, they cleverly put together through intense study and really figuring out how to, how to hack the system, right? People who yeah, have that kind of mindset. Yeah, people who have that curiosity, that desire to find the way through, to, to, to figure out the best way to do things with what they've been given, whether the givers of that system intended it to be used that way or not, that's really the key thing. That mindset is invaluable. That mindset, I can develop and build almost any number of skills on top of and see that person be successful in a security field. So that, that's an interesting topic. Do we have more gamer or not? Oh, is I think gamer so. actually a new requirement? <laughs> like if, you, if, you, if you're a gamer, you just have a, a plus one skill. Well, it's like... It does depend on what kind of games too, though, because I, you know, I, I, I play the 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 shoot 'em ups too, the 3D, you know, the first person shooters, and in most of those games, there's not exactly a lot of ability to cognitively take on the game and and come up with clever new solutions to things, uh, but the RPGs most definitely, um, you know, and and it's funny. So I read a story a little while ago about a a guy who applied for a leadership job on a team and in his leadership experience, he listed being a world of Warcraft guild leader and a bunch Mm -hmm. of the people in the company that received the resume laughed and blew him off and thought how, you know, how ridiculous this guy's listing his gaming. But one of the guys on the team that actually played well was like, no, you don't understand to be a guild leader in world of Warcraft. And he started walking through the actual leadership skills actually required to successfully run a guild and and run raids and, and do all the things that a guild online is trying to do with, with a disparate audience of people you've never even physically met. Uh, different cultural exceptions and it's barriers and, and time zones. And uh, it's a lot of leadership training to be a true guild leader in a game like that. You've developed some really legitimate skills. So, so I don't think gaming in general is necessarily an automatic plus, but certain types of gaming situations. Absolutely. We should put that in the blueprint of the good season. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we should develop two blueprints, there you go. one for the good mentor and one for the good season. It's like yeah. how more gamers on logical gamers and, and yep. look, a diverse, diverse background. Yep. And, and in the gaming world, too, the audience is so finicky. People are so quick to go hostile. Because of the anonymity, people can be real jerks. And to be a leader in that kind of environment and managing those folks and getting the conflicts resolved, there's some very real skills there. I agree. It's, it's that, that the rest of the world, the online world, because you're behind the keyboard sometimes, you just, I mean, I, I had just <laughs> experienced first then a couple of weeks ago. It's like behind, behind the keyboard, actually actually give you that shelter but it's, it's really difficult to manage conflict online yeah i, I do yeah. agree and that's an amazing skill yep and a real guild leader has to do all that anyway stuff. so yeah there's 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 some value in that whole world so let's let's take away that we need to develop the blueprint for the the perfect hiring manager and the, the blueprint for the mentoring there you go so before before my network dies again <laughs> let me ask you all and What's what's the positive ten minutes before we? Uh, what's the positive ten second uh, view on security positive from your perspective before we close off? The challenge. Are we getting seems, better? Or are we getting worse in security? We're getting better. The challenge seems daunting, right? Everybody always talks about the fact that the bad guys are always one step ahead, and the bad guys have more resources than we do, and and there's more of them, and sooner or later they will win, and they will get through, and. I think all those things are actually true. So here I am, <laughs> you're asking me to be positive and I'm going to start with the negative. <laughs> I think all those things are true. I think there are more of them than us. I, I think one of them eventually will get through no matter how well we do our jobs, but that's not the right mindset, right? The positive mindset is, look, we do everything we can in terms of tools and technology, but more important than that, we do everything we can in terms of people and process and rigor. 
security is not a state. Security is not an end goal that says, oh, I've, I've reached a point for, the, for this moment, for the next 17 minutes, no hacker can defeat me, right? Um, <laughs> and then 17 minutes from now, some new expert like is that. developed in it. You know, that's not what security means. Security means, you know, we looked at everything. Continuous improvement. And, and we made it better. And I walked away making it better. And I went home at the end of the day knowing it was better than it was at the beginning of the day. And I, and I went to my quarterly review with my business and, and I showed them that it's better than it was last quarter. And I look back on my three-year history with this company and, and, and it's way better than it was three years ago. The improvement is the process, is the security, right? And, and never lose sight of that. Sometimes the, the gains seem very small, but don't, don't let that get you hung up there's any progress is meaningful and and there's always some kind of progress you can look to so anytime you're getting discouraged or feeling beat up just remember that if you made it better than than it was the last time you checked you're in the right place you're doing the right thing i love that i absolutely love that and on that positive note let's close it off thank you alan for coming and thank you everybody for joining and i wish a great weekend to everybody thank you all hello everyone and thank you again for tuning in It was a very insightful discussion with Alan on the mentoring aspect, on the blueprint that we should come up with. I really hope you enjoy. Thank you everybody for listening. It's been a real pleasure to be your host and to share uh, knowledge and information and a fun time with Alan, our, our long-time friend. So wish you a good day, evening, morning or night, regardless of where you are in the world. And stay safe out there. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and post it on social media tagging Cybersecurity Cloud Podcast for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Discover other episodes at www.cybersecuritypodcast.com.